Uh, we started a series last week called Amazing Grace. And so today is part two. Last week we talked about grace for me, how every single one of us, uh, we have the opportunity to receive God's grace. And it's amazing, right? It's just, it's mind blowing. This week we're going to talk about how I need to have grace for you. You know, sometimes it's hardest to give grace to those closest to us. Have you ever noticed that in life? Next week, we're going to talk about grace for them. And then the last week, we'll talk about grace for all. But remember, we can never let God's grace get old or become complacent with it, right? Sometimes it's easy to just take it for granted. Maybe you've come to church for a while. Maybe you're like, oh, I've... I went to church as a kid. I went to Sunday school. I've heard all the stories. I know the drill, amazing grace, yada, yada, yada. And we just can't have that attitude. It's not an opportunity or it's not a, it's not an, a, um, we just don't have the option of having that attitude as Christ followers. It can never get old. It can never get mundane. We can't let it. If we have a mission as a church, it's to continue to elevate God's amazing grace for a broken and dying world to see. That's our mission. We're a city on a hill. We, 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 we light it on fire and we say, hey, look at what God can do for you and for me. Grace changes people, it rewrites futures, it gives us a fresh start, right? And so it has to stay amazing. We can't understand the Christian life, you can't understand Jesus, you can't understand God at all if you don't understand grace. And so let's jump into week two. John 1, 16 says, for from his fullness... From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. If we could bring those lights up a little bit so we could see our notes and people are going to start writing and you can fill in the blanks as we go on today. But I love that. From his fullness, we have all received, if you have turned your your your, your your attention, your direction towards Christ, you can receive grace. But here's what we know. Receiving grace doesn't guarantee that you know how to give grace, right? So much of the time we want grace for me, but justice for everybody else, right? Grace for me, overlook my blind spots, overlook my weaknesses, overlook the ways that I talk and the, the, you know, maybe I'm a jerk sometimes. Maybe I cut that guy off in traffic, but justice for all the other road ragers out there, right? And when we do that, what does that tell us? It tells us that we're so focused on God's hand, right? Because we didn't have any problem receiving the grace that we miss his heart, Have you ever done that, that you're so focused on, man, you got something from God, you received his grace, you received what he gave you because it's amazing and it's good, but then you miss his heart. And his heart is that we have grace for each other, that we have grace for others. And so in this story that we're looking at today, the second half of the prodigal story, we see an elder brother struggling to show grace to his younger brother. He also struggled to show grace to his own father. He, 
almost seems, as we'll see, that he was just kind of mad at everybody. He was mad at his situation, mad at the world, mad at where he was at life. He was not a happy camper. And so in contrast, last week we saw this younger brother whose life all of a sudden, he, and he didn't even expect it. Remember, he came home to his father expecting to just be a slave in his father's house and be treated at least as good as the servants. But no, his father put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, elevated him above servanthood and showed him amazing grace. They threw a party, right? They threw a huge party and it was just awesome. And so we see the younger brother full of joy and we see the older brother full of contempt. Maybe it's only in my house. I've got three kids that are all still in the house and all still very much, um, <laughs> you know, I got two teenagers and, a, and an almost to be tweener and they fight, right? Imagine that. Pray for me, the weaker vessel. They don't always get along and it's crazy what happens in my house when things aren't even Stevens. Can you hear me? When maybe one kid gets something and the other kid is like, where's mine, right? The kids just smell the injustice. I remember one time um, <laughs> when the kids were younger, one of the kids had gotten into Cheetos, right? And so, but, and then the Cheetos got put away and then the other kid came and saw the Cheeto dust. And it was like, you got Cheetos? And all of a sudden that, the other one thought that they deserved the Cheetos because they saw the evidence of the Cheetos dust that was still all over the face and fingers. I went to a kid's birthday party yesterday and isn't it great? They're, they're the best. They're having a great time, tons of joy, awesome. And, but do you remember this when you're a kid, uh, the kid uh, when, the, when the birthday kid was opening the presents and it's like, you're happy for them, but inside you're like, oh man, I wish I had that, right? You know the feeling, don't deny it. You had it when you were a kid and it's like, you're happy to be there and I think that's the reason why cake and ice cream got invented, just to appease all the kids that didn't get gifts at the birthday party. Because it's like, you sit there and all the kids are watching all the presents get open and they're just like, ah. And then you just shove cake and ice cream in their face. And they're like, oh, okay, life is good. Man, if the dishes schedule in my house gets off and like somebody has to do more dishes than the others, it's like World War III. So maybe it's just my house. Maybe it's just me. But sometimes I want to give one of the kids a candy bar and not give it to the others and just, just so the other ones have to learn how to get over it, right? <laughs> so obviously there's something in us, there's something in us that just doesn't do well when somebody else is blessed and we're not, Right? And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have a little jealousy or envy when we feel like we didn't get what we deserved, right? When you put the time in, when, when you put the work in and you get passed up, 
right? We want to control the balances of justice. We lose our minds when we don't get what we thought we should, but someone else gets it. And then it's almost like they got more than we would have even gotten, right? I deserve the promotion, but they got it and they got even more. I deserve the recognition, but they got it. They took the credit. And look, look how good things are going for them now. And we just lose our minds when we see them on Instagram or Facebook and we're like, that should have been me. Or maybe you just look at another family and they're, they're Instagram perfect, they're Facebook perfect and everything about them is perfect. All their pictures are perfect. And you're like, God, that should have been me. Look how hard I've worked. Why did my life turn out the way it turned out? Why are things the way they are? And before long, we can't enjoy anyone else's successes. We can't be happy for anyone else when they're having a great day. It's like they're having a great day and we're like, well, let me tell you how my day's going. Right? Why should they have it all and not me? Here's the danger, though, of combining that kind of thinking and grace. And here's why they're incompatible. Because grace, you don't deserve it. You never did. You can't earn it. You never could. And you and I aren't good enough. And so this kind of thinking, this kind of jealousy just really breaks down when we look at this story today. And we see, we see an, another just thread running through here is that competition ruins relationships. It does. Competition ruins relationships. Relationships cannot survive if based on performance because we're never good enough. Grace is not transactional. It's freely given. And so we're going to go through three things today that if I'm going to have grace for you, if I'm going to be able to, to be a person that freely and joyfully gives grace, which is God's heart, God's a giver, God's the, the originator of grace. He's the one that gave what was not deserved to you and to me. And so if we're to get his heart on this subject and be people who give grace to others, we have to remember these three things. Number one, I can be in God's house, but far from his heart. I can be in God's house, but far from his heart. Luke 15, 25, we'll start out the second half of the story here. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And so the older son was doing, in his mind, what he was supposed to be doing, right? He's the one that stayed home and never left. He was the one doing the right thing. And so... We see him in the house of his father, but we'll see here in a minute that he was far from his father's heart. And you can almost look at this one verse as a metaphor that his father was in the house. His father was doing what his father's heart was all about. His father was partying with the younger son in the house and celebrating his return while the older son was out in the field. He was away from the father's heart. And so he was in the house, figuratively, he was the son, he was a part of the household, but he was far from his heart. 
Did you ever have someone look at you when you were a kid and maybe you were out in public and, and that person knew your mom and they saw you do something and that person looked at you and said, your mama didn't teach you that. That ever happened to you? <laughs> I was one of those kids that everybody knew my mom and dad. And so it probably happened to me a couple of times when, when somebody would look at me and said, what would your mom and dad think if they knew you were doing that? Right? Because you can be in the house, but far from the father's heart. The older son never left home, and yet his heart had strayed. And here's what happens. We tend to swell with pride when we do well. When we do the right thing, when we do the things that we're supposed to do, we tend to swell with pride. Sometimes we swell with pride when we just do the minimum, when we don't really do anything wrong, but we're not giving it our best effort either, right? This would be things like showing up on time. You know, I, lo I love it when people are like, man, I've showed up on time every single day for work my whole entire life. And it's like, what do you think you should get a ribbon, right? That should be like the most basic of requirements to show up. And yet people are thinking, man, I'm always on time. Look at me. Or husbands, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Listen, there's no medal for running the vacuum at your house. You don't get a medal for it. It's your house, right? It's your house. And, but a lot of times we're like, man, look, look, I just vacuumed the floor. I'm awesome. But it's, reminder, it's your house. What about, what about this one? And this one, this one sends me to the moon. I've had friends that at a certain time or another, I'm like, hey, you want to do this on Friday night? You know, go here, do this or that. And these are dads and they say, no, I have to babysit the kids tonight. And I'm like, hold up, aren't they your kids? When they're your kids, it's not babysitting. And so, but we get this mentality that it's like, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And we start to swell with pride. Look at me, look at what I just did. And, and this leaks into our relationship with Christ. It leaks into how we operate. Sometimes, you know, those of you that have been around church for a while, we see this attitude leak into our hearts as Christ followers. Because success can lead to arrogance. And we have this false sense of good, like, oh, I'm doing all this. And it's like, no, we're just doing the right thing. We're not doing extra. We're not going above and beyond. We're just doing what we should be doing. And then arrogance leads to a lack of grace. And this is the big thing when it's like, man, we're just doing what we should be doing all along. And, but, but somehow we get this puffed up heart and this big head when it comes to other people. We see this in the story of Mary and Martha. If you remember in, in, in the New Testament, Jesus had come to their house and Martha was so busy getting the meal ready. Mary was just sitting around with Jesus in the living room, just hanging out. And it really ticked Martha off. And so Martha says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Can you hear the sass? Tell her to come and help me. Now, I just love it that Martha has the Lord of all creation in her living room and she's bossing him around. That's a whole nother story. But 
we get this attitude too. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair that? Right? We get that in our hearts as well. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. People got to eat. People got to live. And so we see Martha was in the house, but far from Jesus' heart. Listen, if your service to Christ, if my service to Christ is all about being religious, then we get to a place where it's like, well, I'm doing it, what I'm supposed to be doing, and you're not. If our service to Christ is all about being just morally good, then it's like, well, I'm making all the moral right decisions and you're not. If our service to Christ is all about being, you know, that we need to be deserving of recognition, then it's like, well, look at me and what I'm doing and you don't get it because you didn't do X, Y, Z. The problem with this is that grace is not transactional. It's given when undeserved. That's the definition of grace. And so we see the, the older son, he's out in the field. He's far from his father's heart. And he's about to miss it. Number two, what do we see? We see that grace requires me to die to myself. It requires me to die to myself. Let's read on in the passage. It says, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you. And you never once refused to do a single thing you, you and, and I never once reser, refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, AKA his brother, right? When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Have you ever gotten offended when you weren't in the know? When you felt like you weren't a part of the decision? <clears throat> Have you ever walked into church and you're like, who changed that? Have you ever walked into a situation, a circle of friends and found out they were doing something that you didn't know about? And maybe you weren't invited, right? As a result, you chose to be critical and negative. You chose to get really, really self-centered. I know I've been there. Listen, doing what Jesus says, which you could kind of relate to the elder brother because the elder was, he had stayed home. He had done what his father said. He was doing all the right things. But doing what Jesus says is not the same thing as seeing how God sees, right? He was doing the right things, but he still didn't have the heart of the father. He wasn't seeing the situation like his father saw. You do with your hands, but you see with your heart. You see, the brother was basing his views on what he had done. 
But that's not the gospel. That's not amazing grace. He had based his views of the situation based on what he had done, not what his father was doing. You see, our job as Christ followers, and if, and if man, if you take a step to follow Christ, then you show up in your relationship with Christ, and, you, and, and the question is, Jesus, Lord, what are you doing? How can I get on the same page as you? You see, this elder brother's correct response would have been to show up at the house and say, what's dad doing? I want to be a part. How can I support dad in what he's doing? How can I support the father in what he's doing? Do what God is blessing. Be excited about what God is blessing. Bring your joy in alignment with his. Get on his team, right? Find God's heart is for the sinner to find freedom, right? And so a lot of times when we're like, man, I should have gotten that or where's my recognition or, you know, me, 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 me. How is this all, this whole situation making me feel and where do I fit into it? The right response is, God, where's your heart? I'm gonna go there. God, where are you moving? I'm gonna go get involved there. God, what are you doing? I'm gonna go do that. You see, if you're gonna have grace for others in your life, then the first step is dying to yourself. Grace requires me to die to myself and get on God's page. It's going to be very hard for you to show grace to others in the way that God would want you to if your heart is not in alignment with God's. If someone else's blessing causes you anger, you've got a heart problem. And I've been there, man, when I see somebody else and they're, they're experiencing just uh, just a harvest of blessing and they're, they're going through a season of, man, just everything's going great. And you get that little thought to yourself like, ah, man, I wish I could be there, right? And instead of being excited for them, I'm kind of in the dumps about where I'm at, right? But in those moments, it's a, it's a signal. It says I've got a heart problem. Remember what I mentioned about my kids, you know? fighting about the dishes. Why well, did the dishes for the last three days, right? But they never get in trouble, but they, and, and they go all historical in the relationship. Do you ever do this with your spouse? You get all historical on them and you're like, remember back in 1976, right? You did this. And it's like, you still remember like it's yesterday. That's what the brother was doing. Look what I did. Grace requires you to die to yourself. If I'm going to receive grace, I need to give grace. Remember, you can't earn your place in God's house. We don't deserve it. And years in the house don't equal maturity in our hearts. This is a big deal. Number three, if I'm going to show grace to others the way that God would intend, I can't forget the identity God's grace gave me. I can't forget the identity God's grace gave me. You see, when you accepted God's grace or when you received God's grace, and if you haven't, man, I pray that you do today, that you realize that you have a, a Savior who left his throne in heaven, came and lived a sinless life, Jesus 
lived a sinless life and then he went to the cross. He died a sinner's death. He paid the price for your sins and mine. He rose again on the third day so that you and I could have direct access, relationship with God and our eternity can be secured with him. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing grace. And when we accept that grace in our lives, God literally gives us a new identity, a new name. He gives us his name. You see, when God sees us, after we give our hearts and lives to Christ, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our guilt. He doesn't see our shame. He takes all that away and gives us a new name. Forgiven, free, son, daughter, child of God. It's a miracle. And so if we're going to give others grace, we can't forget this new identity that we've been given. Let's read on in the passage. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now, I just want to stop and note. Notice the grace that the father showed towards the elder brother. You see, this grace story isn't just about the grace shown to the prodigal who had left and squandered all his money and made all the mistakes. You know, he was the one that's like, you know, some people say, man, that was a great testimony. And a lot of times when people hear a story and they hear a testimony, they're like, oh man, that was great because this person was like way far gone and now they've come back. The elder brother was like, I don't have that much of a story because I've just been here the whole time. I never really left. I'm just, he's kind of consistent doing what he's supposed to be doing. And yet we see that grace isn't just for the prodigal. The father had grace in his response to the elder brother as well. And this is a great note for us that kind of do life in the body of Christ here in the church. That even when we don't see eye to eye, and by the way, this is not a perfect church. And if you were looking for a perfect church, you ruined that when you walked in today. Just saying. And, and so this isn't a perfect church. It'll never be. And if you become a part of this church and if you, you know, kind of dig in and community here and become a part of the family, um, you're going to find that it's full of imperfect people. And this is a very big thing for us to remember that the father showed grace even to the elder brother that was out of alignment. He showed grace to the young brother who had come back from a life of sin. And he showed grace to the elder brother. He begged him to come in. I don't know about you, but as, as a father and a not, a not perfect father, I don't, I don't like to beg my kids, right? I don't like to beg them. I'm, I'm kind of that, that dad that's like, because I said so, you know? You're gonna go here and do what I say and you're gonna do it like I say because I'm your dad. But the father literally went out and begged him to come in. The, the father reminded the elder brother of his identity. He's like, you stayed with me. Everything that I have is yours, right? 
if we remember this, if we remember this identity that we are sons and daughters of God, how much easier is it to then show grace to other people? If we remember who we are, you see the son, the the younger son that came home thought he was going to come home as a servant, but he was elevated. He was elevated to sonship once again. The father said he was a son. And so the father is trying to give the elder, this elder son who's out of alignment, a gentle redirect. He's trying to remind him of the family values. What are, what are the family values of our church? What are the family values of Jesus? Seek and save the lost. He loves everyone and wants everyone to come to repentance. Something had gotten in the way of that, those family values for the elder brother. And so you, you see the father gently redirecting him, right? And so when we redirect our values to Christ's, we're able to see other people the way that he sees them. We're able to give grace even to the people that we least want to give grace to. Remember how I said in the beginning that sometimes it's hardest to give grace to those closest to us? Why? Because you know them so well. It's easy to give grace to somebody that you don't know. It's easy to give grace to somebody that you don't have to do life with, that you don't have to rub shoulders with. It's easier to give grace that you don't have to share with, right? It gets real when you have to give grace to somebody that hurts you. Put yourself in the shoes of that elder brother. The younger brother, when he left, it probably hurt the elder brother too. It probably didn't only hurt the father, probably hurt the whole family. It hurt the whole family. And so sometimes if it's hard to give grace to those closest to us because we've been hurt. But we've got to remember our identity, our identity in Christ. Everything he has is ours. And f- we freely received, we can freely give the grace away. So how does this change your approach to relationships? How does this change? Is there someone you need to quit going all historical on? Is there somebody that you just need to release in your heart? It's like, man, I've been holding this grudge for so long and I'm not giving grace because I did all that and they didn't do anything and they still got this. Just let it go. And so what kind of heart, I love that song we sang earlier, my heart needs a surgeon, right? And this is that surgeon work in our heart. God, I need you to help me release this grudge. I need you to help me forgive. What about here at church? Believer, or maybe you some maybe you're somebody that needs to quit being so exclusive in your thinking. And by that I don't mean that you know we we um, believe things that aren't biblical at all. But maybe your heart needs to be just a little bit more open to somebody that's trying to come home, to somebody that's trying to join the party. Right? Maybe God wants to throw a party for this person, but you're just not ready to yet because of what they did. Maybe you just got this filter over your mind and over your heart that says, man, I'll give grace to people that kind of look like me and talk like me and that I get along with, but there's some people that if they smell a certain way or act a certain way or just a certain way, I'm just not ready to give them grace yet. When the father is standing at the end of that dusty road and when that prodigal's running home, the father's arms are open wide. 
What about if you're in ministry? What if you're a life group leader or a kids worker or a youth worker? What if you've got a, some sort of ministry to businesses or, or you rub shoulders, you're a mentor to, to kids or your peers or colleagues at work? What do you need to change to just be more gracious towards others? To say, hey, I'm gonna align my heart with God's. I'm gonna get connected to God's heart. I'm gonna stay connected to God's heart. I'm gonna die to my selfishness. I'm gonna die to selfishness because that's the enemy of giving grace. I'm gonna remember what family I'm a part of. I'm gonna let my identity in Christ determine how I treat others and the grace that I dole out. Because this is what we do in this family. This is what we do when we're a part of the family of God, right? We give grace. We give grace. We give grace. What would happen, church, if we showed, if we all showed this kind of grace to those closest to us? What if this was the hallmark of our church? That man, when people are trying to run to Jesus, our arms are open. And honestly, this is one of the things I love about our church is you guys are so welcoming and you're so embracing of those that want to meet Jesus. Love that. How can we grow in this area even more? How can we grow in our grace towards others? I just encourage you to journal through this story one more time this week. Ask yourself those tough questions. Who do I need to show grace to? What phone call do I need to make? What conversation do I need to have? Who do I need to say I'm sorry to? Who needs to hear me say the words, I was wrong, please forgive me. You can bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. <clears throat> you know, this whole series is about, you know, just elevating the amazing grace of our God for you and for me. And last week we talked about how the grace is, you know, God has grace for you. Today we talked about how you and I can have grace for others even when we don't feel like it, right? But maybe you're here today and you need to experience God's grace for the first time. Maybe you need to take that first step of getting connected with God in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're that prodigal that we talked about last week who has been far from God, living a life of sin, living life on your own, and it's time to run to the Father today. <clears throat> and this morning, I'm not gonna literally make you run anywhere. <laughs> this is a spiritual thing. This is you making a choice and saying, Jesus, I'm running to you. And if that's you today and you'd like to give your heart and your life to Christ, you'd like to say, Jesus, I wanna make you my Lord. I wanna make you my savior. I wanna follow you from this point forward. If that's you today, um, could you just reach out to God by lifting your hand so I can pray with you today? You wanna give your heart and your life to Christ today. Amen. If you're here today and you've just been convicted that you need to be more gracious towards others, maybe even those closest to you. And you need to get your heart back in alignment with his. You need to start dying to yourself. You need to remember the identity that your father gives you.
so that you can be a grace giver. If that's you today and you just uh, run and raise your hand with me as we pray a closing prayer of commitment. Jesus, we need you to help us give grace like you gave it to us. Jesus, we need you to help us give grace to those that we sometimes think don't deserve it. Because Jesus, you said they're worth it when you died for them on the cross. Jesus, you said they matter when you laid your life down for them on the cross. And so help us to remember that. Help us to remember that, man, we can give grace to anyone. And Jesus, you're the one that forgives. It's not up to us to save people. It's not up to us to make sure that people do everything right all the time. It's up to us to model what you've done for us. And so just help us to have the right heart when it comes to giving grace to others in Jesus' name. If you raised your hand or or wanted to commit your life to Christ today for the first time, I just encourage you right there at your seat to just pray a prayer of acceptance. It can be something like this. You can say, Jesus, come to my heart today. I surrender. I've sinned. I've messed up. I confess that I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again on the third day. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. Help me to grow in my relationship with you. Help me to understand your word. I want to follow you in Jesus' name.